Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Game Dev's Quest, your once-weekly podcast following our journey into game devdom. Of course, I'm one of your hosts, Rhett. Hey, guys. I'm Taylor. Thanks for joining us. And, yeah, this week we're joined... We just... We're chock full of guests uh, in <laughs> these recent episodes. So this week, we're joined with a very special guest. Why don't you go and say hello? Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, it's Manbeard Games, or you can just call me Chris, because uh, Manbeard is... Very confusing on Twitch with all the other bearded devs. <laughs> uh, so you might know me. I made Ophidian. Uh, it's on Steam. Taylor seems to promote that quite a bit when I come yeah. here on the stream. But yeah, happy to be here. Heck. Yeah, dude. Great, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, and don't downplay Ophidian, dude. That game's badass. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, you're. so for reals, I think you're the first uh, person I met who has a game up on Steam which is super cool. Like it is. I don't <laughs> I don't know when we first met. I think it was probably like April of 2017 or something like that. And I think I met you on Twitch and I saw you up, saw your game, and I was just like blown away that I knew somebody who had a game up on Steam. So, congrats, man. Your game Ophidian is so awesome. I've played quite a bit of it. It's super hard. Uh, do you want to give a brief overview of, of what it is, kind of your development process for that, and uh, uh, where sure. you kind of see it going? Yeah, uh, so Ophidian is a... Um, I always hate trying to describe it, because it's not an arcade game. Uh, it's not a puzzle game. Um, <laughs> but it's like an arcade puzzle snake game. <laughs> with snakes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a snake game, uh, four-player, multiplayer, arcade mode. Uh, and then within that, I also designed out 100 challenge levels as well, just to have something extra to do than the standard snake gameplay. Um, yeah. Development process on that game, though, that was uh, that's an interesting story. So I think <laughs> it's interesting. Um, I started out uh, last year. Um, I've been messing around with Unity for a while, on and off, never done anything serious. Uh, and then last year... Uh, I got really curious on how, in a snake game, they make the pieces move. Um, because the head moves forward one square, but then they have to track all the body pieces moving forward. So how do they do that? Do they move the head and then all the body pieces with it? Is it all like linked together? And then how do they get it to do um, when you turn, like getting all the body pieces to follow it as it turns? Uh, so I found this really concise, short tutorial on how to make snake in Unity. And it was actually super interesting to me because the way it works is you have the head and the head moves forward one space. And then you take the tail and put the tail in that space where the head was. Mm -hmm. And then you just continue that process. And that's how it gets the pieces to follow it when it, when it turns. Um, so I took that and it, like I said, it was a very simple tutorial. Nothing fancy about like the graphics and everything they use. It was just like, here's a little white block. Um, <laughs> So I, I got really, really interested in taking that to another level because uh, I didn't like how snake games move. I don't like the the jagged movement of the traditional snake games. Mm -hmm. uh, so I started looking into how to make the blocks move really smooth. But then that completely destroys how 
the tutorial told you to make the snake move with the the head moving forward once square because if you make the head move smoothly then you can't move it smoothly and then just jump the tail into place because that's going <laughs> to keep that jagged movement right yeah um so i started learning shader programming um oh. so the entire smooth movement of the snake in the game is all done through shaders wow um, so that yeah that took me through uh i spent about three months learning shaders last year doing that uh, i got that put in and then uh, once I got the base game play down, I was like, oh, I wonder what it would be like if we had, if I could go to head, head, head to head with someone in the game. Um, so I brought my son into the room and me and him were like <laughs> talking about ideas in the game and adding multiplayer in. And he was like, oh, we should bring mom in here too. So we can do three player. And I was like, oh, why not just add four player? Why not? <laughs> yes. Um, so that's how the multiplayer got born from that. And then, uh, I wanted to take the game and do, and, and actually release it, um, because like I said, I've, I've messed around with Unity for a while and other game engines, and I've made like small little things, but I've never actually released something. Um, so I wanted to actually do that. So I started looking into the Steam process, how to get the game on Steam. Uh, and thankfully, last year, uh, Steam switched over to the Steam Direct instead yeah. of Greenlight. Um, so right. that made it super simple. So I started doing that, and then I realized that I needed to add more to the game, which meant the challenge levels, which that meant developing um some way of creating the levels so there's actually a level editor built into the game uh, yeah. that no one can access but me <laughs> i need to actually <laughs> take that out of the code <laughs> um, so there's a level editor built into the game and i built that to design out the challenge levels and they all get saved out to like a json file and read back into the game um, dude yes that was so yeah. cool i'm so happy you're here and talking about this because that was really yeah. awesome uh, and I totally know what you mean with the snake, because uh, before I got into Unity, when, when me and Rhett were first starting Game Devs Quest, I started to make a snake game uh, <laughs> in the C-sharp, like, just console window, and yeah. I had that same problem with the head, like, moving around, and it got really confusing, and I never fixed it. So I, th I can't remember exactly how it worked, but, like, sometimes uh, the head would move in a different way than the body or something, but, yeah. Wow. Just so cool hearing your story, dude. And your game is super awesome. Uh, we're definitely going to plug a link into the uh, the show notes. Um, so it's up on Steam. You're not in alpha or, or any kind of beta phase, are you? Or I'm not technically. Um, yeah. The Steam page actually, you know, it's 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 released. It's not uh, early build or early access on Steam, uh, but it feels that way. <laughs> uh, at least to me, it feels that way. I. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it feels pretty fleshed out. And you have 100 levels or more, right? Uh, uh, it's 100, yeah. 100, yeah. So I think I'm only on like level 30 or something. but And it's already like super challenging. <laughs> uh, so what, what do you see like going forward? Are you going to add more levels, different challenges? Or is it pretty much like you're good at this point? Well, to be brutally honest, I want to be done with Ophidian really <laughs> like i want i want to move past it i want to be done with it um uh -huh. so last year was an especially hard year for me um i think i might i think we might have talked about it a little bit in like twitch chat or on um twitter mm -hmm. but uh, i lost my job last year mm -hmm. i got laid off and that's what kind of fueled me to actually or motivated me to to actually get into it and do the game development and release something um so it's kind of like that cliche story i lost my job spent six months making a, six months making a game and here it is everyone play it yeah um but i spent probably close to 40 hours a week on ophidian and that's designing it doing the research learning how to do the shader programming 
uh, learning some of the more advanced features of Unity that I didn't know already. And that, that took a toll. Like, it's a lot of time spent doing that. And then as soon as I got Ophidian released, uh, shortly after is when I got the information that uh, my submission to MAGFest uh, was accepted. So I got into MAGFest. Yeah. So then I was like, okay, well, now I need to make sure Ophidian is ready for MAGFest. Because your game that you make versus the game that you show uh, is two separate games. So okay. It's the same game, but there's extra things added into it for that uh, exhibition type experience. Like uh, for Ophidian, there's like a, a demo mode where uh, if no one's at the booth playing the game for like a minute or so, then it'll switch over to like an autoplay type thing to kind of like attract people to come over and look at it. Uh, so mm -hmm. you put things like that in there and then you have to uh, edit the game to make sure people can't like exit the game out and close it out. And then you have to make things to auto launch the game if it closes and handle crashes during an exhibition. <laughs> um, and so it's just, there's all these extra things you add in just to, to show it off at like a convention like that. Uh, so I spent a lot of time getting the game ready for that convention after I had released it. Um, yeah. and there was a ton of bugs in the, in the first release that I was working on kind of like in parallel to getting it ready for MAGFest. Um, so then MAGFest came, uh, that was, uh, the first weekend in January. So it was about what, four weeks ago, went to MAGFest and it was a total blast, fantastic experience. Uh, but it, it burned me out. Like it's <laughs> four days of standing there for eight hours talking about my game, yeah. uh, which is, is great and seeing and interacting with these people and playing it. But I was already kind of in a burned out state before that. And then I had to go through that and, and push through it. And I got a ton of feedback from it. It's really great ideas I'm trying to put into the game now. And I'm having trouble now, like, being, I'm still in that burned out state. And I'm having trouble now <laughs> uh, finding the motivation to put all of those updates into the game that people are requesting and fix the bugs that I know exist that no one else knows exists. Right. Um, so, yeah, being brutally honest. If I can move away from Ophidian, that would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> You're like tired of talking about it, playing it. I I yeah. always see you on Discord. It says playing uh, either playing Ophidian or playing Unity. <laughs> yeah. No, see, that's actually uh, that's actually a bug, sort of. Oh, really? Um, so with Ophidian to get it on Steam, uh, you have to integrate the Steam SDK. Mm -hmm. uh, but this guy made uh, uh, Steam Steamworks.net. Uh, it's a fantastic .NET library wrapper for the whole Steamworks SDK. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, you can uh, wrap your game with it, and it just makes it seamless to put the game on uh, to integrate with Steam. That's cool. Um, well, the the problem with it is once I hit play in Unity to test a feature out, and then I stop playing in Unity, uh, the Steamworks um, something with the way it integrates it doesn't actually close the game from within steam so steam is just <laughs> always saying i'm playing ophidian and then like discord <laughs> picks up on that so like in ophidian i've got like 1300 hours right now i think yeah <laughs> yeah that's awesome well dude there's your excuse somebody's like hey you want to hang out you're like oh dude i'm working on ophidian and then you like go in the other room <laughs> playing games <laughs> yeah uh that's cool yeah so magfest sounds intense Sounds really fun, and and that um, remind me, that's is it only an East Coast thing, or they have different places um, they go? They have different ones. Um, Magfest is like the big one, and that that's the East Coast one. Uh, and then uh, later in the year, they do a Magwest 
Um, not exactly sure where they hold that at, but it's West Coast. <laughs> nice. Um, and they have a few other smaller events that they do. Um, mm-hmm. One's called like Magstock. And they have another one. I can't remember what it's called. But yeah, they have a few like smaller events outside of the bigger ones as well. Yeah, that's cool. So do you, are you thinking you'll try and do an, any other events or you kind of just hunkering down you got to get past like the the motivation block that you're in and and try and get those bugs and features implemented oh no i'll I'll definitely be doing more events um macfest actually teams up with a convention in dc called awesome con uh which is more like a comic con i think type convention i'd never heard of i had to look it up when they sent me the information um but i'm potentially right now going to be showing a feeding in there as well in about a month um, nice. I got invited to the group. I'm just waiting to actually hear the official word. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Well, congratulations on your game, dude. That's so sick. Yeah, uh, thanks. I'm full, like super inspired and excited uh, just by seeing you do that kind of thing. Cause obviously I'm, I'm at the point where I'm just making these little games that are up on itch, you know? Um, and someday <laughs> like it'd be like a dream to have a game up on steam or some kind of marketplace. So thanks yeah. for sharing that with us, man. We'll, we'll promote you as much as we can. Hopefully it helps out with sales and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, keep, keep doing that though. I mean, the, the smaller games you're doing on, on itch, uh, and the stuff like the one game a month stuff, uh, I can tell you from personal experience now, I wish that was the route that I'd went instead of taking my first thing that I, I actually, you know, went out and fully completed and making it like the, the bigger project and releasing it on steam and dealing with all that. Uh, I wish I'd gone through like the little steps before and kind of built up a profile that way. Yeah. Uh, because now like with me and Ophidian, it's like, Oh, here's this game that I made. Uh, but no one knows who I am. No one knows Manbeard games. No one has any past work that I've done to go off of, to go, Oh, he made, you know, these little projects and they were really fun. And he released this one full game on steam. So let's all go check it out. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a marketing nightmare for me. Or, I see. Or, um, PR nightmare because it's and I'm already terrible at marketing so (laughs) yeah that's something I think most people um in game dev struggle with I think you know it's like a secondary thing you don't really think about you want to just hone your craft and learn the skills to make a game that's fun you don't want to have to worry about networking and all that kind of stuff but (laughs) yeah yeah um but yeah like for us having a podcast having a little community um it it's all just kind of part of it and of course we welcome you to to be part of it as well obviously uh so if we can do anything to help leverage uh leverage your stuff we're happy to so yeah definitely uh, yeah go ahead speaking Rhett. of uh <laughs> speaking of like the marketing and the pr side of this whole thing i'm wondering like so obviously you know you just said you wish you could go back and kind of take all those other little steps that taylor was sort of talking about but here we are you've had a fidian up on the marketplace like if there was anything that you could change about the way that you've marketed it so far, what would that be? Or if you just had some advice for, let's say, another dev that's dropping their first time game on Steam or something like that, what what would you tell them? Um, specifically for well, it's not specific for Steam. Uh, this could be for any marketplace, even uh, as far as like itch as well. Um, spend time working on what people see when they see your game. Um, so like my, my steam store page, uh, once I finished the game and, and I knew I was ready to 
to put it on Steam, to get it out there and put it up for sale. Uh, at that point, I had not designed uh, like an elevator pitch for the game. I had no formal description of the game. Um, I had no like uh, promotional images, banners, things that you would need for like a web page or for the Steam page. I had no trailer for the game, none of that. And at that point, I was ready to go ahead and get it on Steam and get past that whole process. So I kind of rushed that. Uh, so the the first store page that I had on Steam was just a few screenshots that I had taken from the game. But I mean, it's in Ophidian, in a snake game, I mean, there's not so much you can show off in screenshots. Um, and in the trailer that I made, uh, I did that, I think it was like in, in one night, I made a trailer. I uh, recorded a bunch of videos of me playing the game, brought my son in, had him play the game with me to get some multiplayer footage, uh, went through some of the challenge levels, and then just... And I loaded up Vegas Pro and put together like a little trailer and put the game out there. And at that point, I started kind of becoming more active on Twitter, uh, posting into like the Screenshot Saturday hashtags, the Game Dev and Indie, indie Dev hashtags, uh, the Steam ones uh, that the game was released. And it picked up a little traction. I would get a few retweets here and there, uh, mostly from the bots on Twitter, which I love bots on Twitter. <laughs> uh there's this one bot, it's an indie game dev bot. And every time I post something with the indie game dev hashtag, that bot unfollows me and then refollows me on Twitter and then retweets me. So it's yeah. like constantly, that one bot is just like my constant friend. <laughs> I see that a lot too, honestly. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why it does it. It's because I think, I think it follows quite a few people, but then it's like at any given moment, it might not be following you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I started trying to to push people towards the game, get the information out there about the game. Started using the Twitter more. I set up a Facebook page for Manbeard Games as a whole. Uh, I set up my website, manbeardgames.com. I uh, went into the whole, um, maybe I should have like a dev blog where I'm posting updates and what I'm doing with the game. Uh, use that as kind of like a marketing thing. Um, I created a whole separate YouTube channel to kind of put like some gameplay videos or uh, to put the trailer up there as well. And out of all of that stuff, I spread myself way too thin and I didn't actually focus on, I focused more on uh, the quantity of how much I had out there instead of the actual quality of the, the presentation of the game when people see it. Uh, and that showed, that showed terribly, it showed. Um, so in the first, I want to say like maybe month and a half, two months of the game being on Steam, um, one of the things that, I, that you can see about your game on Steam is how many people have added it to their wish list. So that number kept going up. Uh, it got up to like close to 200 people added it to their wish list, but no one was buying the game. No one at all, and I could not figure out why. Um, do you get some pretty detailed information on Steam as far as your unique visits to your page and recurring visits and where all this is coming from? And a lot of it was coming from... Uh, the stuff that I posted on Twitter and my Facebook page and um, I actually had a few that actually came directly from my website. So I knew the information I was getting out there was working. But when people came to the page, why weren't they buying the game? And looking at close to 200 people on the wish list versus close to like 10,000 unique visits to the page, like why were people not buying it once they saw the game? Uh, and that's when... I brought in one of my friends and I was like, look, look at this Steam page. Why would you not buy this game? I need to know why you wouldn't <laughs> buy it. 
and he was just like, you know, he went through it with me. He was like, you know, the, the description of it needs to be reworked. It's not, it's, it's a very generic description. It's not about your game. It's about maybe this kind of game in general. Uh, so I reworked the whole description of it. And then I spent an extra like two weeks working on a new trailer for the game, actually putting some time into it and syncing things up in the video with the music and getting the relevant information into the video that people would need to know about the game went through. And at, at this point I had actually already updated the user interface for the game, completely redid the whole menu stuff, but the screenshots and everything were still the old system. Um, so I, I went through and redid all the screenshots. I made, made sure to get some better ones, some better quality ones, updated the banner for the game. I just made like a better presentation for what people saw when they first landed on the on the page, because it wasn't a problem getting people to the page, it was getting the you know converting them to buying the game. So once I did that, got all that fixed up, I started noticing that wish list um, the wish list value was still going up, but the conversion rate from being on a wish list to buying the game started to increase. Um, so if, I mean that's honestly like any advice I could give once you get the game out there is your presentation is everything you can get people to come to the page all you want, but if they don't see something that is, you know, even for like a dollar and 99 cent, it's, they got to see something that they feel values that, that money. Right. Um, so that presentation is, is, is everything. So do you wish that, um, as you were developing it, you would have done a lot of this stuff sooner? Like, cause this is something I fall into too, when I'm doing one game a month is, I only post, like, I only tweet a couple times a month about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Do you wish that you were doing that more frequently? And then that kind of made it so that as you went through the whole process, you were refining things and, um, you know, getting more eyes on it that way? Or do you think it, it's better to, you know, do do updates here and there when you have, like, something big to show? And then at the end, just make sure it's, like, really polished. Oh, no, definitely. Um, Do as much as you can, as frequently as you can. Don't just throw things out there just to throw them out there. But it was, um, what's his name, Mick Funky Pants? Yeah. On Twitter. Uh, He he made a tweet about how, I believe it was him, and if I'm misquoting, I'm very sorry (laughs) for the person I'm misquoting. (laughs) Uh, He said for uh, Screenshot Saturday, uh, you could post something that's like this really cool feature in your game. And you get like a couple of retweets, maybe a like or two, but you post like a bug in your game and it's like a thousand retweets, 10,000 <laughs> likes. Um, so yeah. even stuff like that, as you're developing the game, even if it's something buggy, you know, post it, you have something to show, show it. Yeah. Well, I think that also shows a lot of personality too. Like, yeah. you know, people find it funny and then they want to want to see what else you're doing kind of a thing. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I, I, I did see that from McFunky Pants. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that was him too. And if you think about it, it makes sense though. Like, I mean, bugs are some of the things that I think stick with us the most about games. And obviously you want those bugs to have the least amount of exposure when a person's playing the game. (laughs) Right. But nonetheless, like, I mean, uh, even if you never played it before, everybody was watching the videos of the bugs that were out in like Mass Effect Andromeda when that dropped, you know, all the (laughs) weird animations and buggy behavior. And people are still talking about it. Like, I think they fixed all of those problems yet. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody knows. Um, So I had a question because shaders are something that really intimidate me. And I think part of the reason (laughs) is because when I've looked at some of the shader code, 
of just like you know some shader in unity or something mm-hmm. it it seems very scary to me <laughs> it is um, it is uh it's black magic is what it yeah. is yeah it's so like and i don't think i'm even close to a point where i could be programming shaders but if if you had a tip for somebody who wanted to learn about that do you have like a resource you'd recommend or is there any particular type of math you feel like people should know or i honestly don't even know how shaders work (laughs) (laughs) um i don't think the math has been invented for us to understand shaders yet (laughs) okay uh no um no a really good resource that i started with and i think um this is always a tough thing for me to recommend um or when i'm recommending things um because i feel like before i i can recommend something to someone uh for them to look at for like tutorials or guides uh they should i always feel like that they're in a place where they're comfortable enough that they know what questions to ask when they don't know something right um and it's always it's always tough for me to recommend things because I'm I'm never sure if it's always the um, the right level for someone beginning like with shaders. Yeah. Um, so maybe if if somebody is interested in shaders before they even go through like a, this is actually how you you know write a shader or whatever they should probably read about the gen general generalities is that a word uh, you know just about yeah <laughs> just kind of learn about what shaders are in general yeah kind of um, thing. you should because uh especially um focusing specifically on shaders like i said it's 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 like black magic for how they work it <laughs> does not make sense um because with with shaders you basically have two functions that are being used uh, you have uh, uh your vertex shader and your fragment shader and the powerhouse in there is the fragment shader and in in like a layman's term of what it does is if you can imagine the points between vertices um it interpolates all of the pixels Mm -hmm. in those points and then every return value from that frag function is a return value for every single pixel Uh, and it's doing something for every single pixel like changing the color of that individual pixel or you could even um in the vert function you could like move the pixel to a certain position so you can change visually where it's at but um mathematically like in unity for the transform it's you know still in the same place but just visually it's different Um, (laughs) oh yeah it's 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 still something that i have to wrap my head around and the math does get kind of crazy because you do Mm -hmm. get into like um some trigonometry with like sine and cosine uh yeah doing that um and then there's like much more simpler ones that you can do as well but um a really good place for people to start with uh, at, at any level of knowing shaders is, um, and I've, I've posted this about it before, I think in the discord, uh, there's a YouTube channel called um, making stuff look good. Oh yeah. Uh, it I've used to be that. called uh, making stuff look good in unity, but then the oh. guy apparently got a job somewhere. So he couldn't say in unity anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just making stuff look good. Um, nice. But he has uh it has like a whole video series on it. And the first two videos that you watch in the series is like shaders 101 and 102. And he gives like this super high level, not very technical overview of how shaders work. And once you go through that and you can kind of grasp like the, the idea behind shaders and what they're doing, the next point, you know, that you should get to is at that point you should know how to Google something like what you need to ask when you don't understand something. And then that just leads to other things beyond that. 
Dude, that's awesome. Thank you yeah, for no. putting that in layman's terms. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, if you uh, his his YouTube channel, I definitely recommend making stuff look good. It um, like I said, his Shader One Hundred One and One Hundred Two is really good, high level overview. And then he's got a few uh, case studies that he does in the videos as well. Where her, um, my favorite one is where he took Wind Waker and the bomb animation in Wind Waker, how when it explodes and it creates the 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 cloud puff around it and then the ring around it and then you get the rock shooting out of it and he goes through like step by step recreating that whole thing in unity and it's really wow. cool to watch and see like oh i could do something like that in unity <laughs> that they did in wind waker you know, it's, it's really cool that's awesome wow yeah well that's one thing about ophidian that i like there's two things that really get me with it and why i really like the game one is it has kind of this very chill vibe like it's very minimalistic and the music that you have for it just really fits that. And the other thing is like the look of it, it's the minimalism. And then obviously the shaders you, you used and like the color schemes and everything. Like part of it, what I like is when you start eating the apples or whatever, that the color scheme starts to kind of change. Yeah. Uh, It just is very nice. So cool, man. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. If, if I, if I actually could really quick uh, plug somebody, since you oh yeah, for it. sure. Um, one of my uh, longtime friends, uh, his name is Justin. His uh, production that he does everything under is Moonside Sounds. Uh, he did the, all of the music for the game. Uh, he did the uh, sound design for the game, all the sound effects and everything. Uh, really fantastic guy, and he needs to get, um, or not that he needs to get, but I want to plug him as much as possible when talking about a him because he he did a fantastic job capturing capturing what I wanted for the sound of the game. That's um, awesome, man. You, you said it was chill. And like, I, I went to him and I said, I trust you and, you know, you creating the music for this game. I was like, this is my only requirement. All right. <laughs> I said, you just came home from work for a really long day. You want to sit down for like 30 minutes and play a game and just relax. <laughs> what is the soundtrack for that? And he delivered on it for me. And I think, I think it fits really well and he did a really good job. Yeah, dude, that's really cool. Um, yeah, we'll have to get the link from you to plug that in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. And usually when I play Ophidian, it's in that exact same situation. I was <laughs> like, I just want to chill. Like, this is going to challenge <laughs> me, but I really want to just be here in this nice atmosphere. Like, yep. imagine now Now you need to do Ophidian VR. So it's like this escape, <laughs> escape like... Uh, I don't know, chillscape. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> I was actually driving yesterday on my way home from work. And as I was driving, I was like, you know, driving a car would kind of be like playing a Fidian in VR. <laughs> so I actually started thinking about that, like how to make the game in VR. Uh, so don't don't say that. Don't don't put me on that project. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. That's funny. No, you're fine. Nice, man. So when you first started learning game development, was it basically for Ophidian or had you, you know, done a couple years of work beforehand where you just like dabbling kind of a thing? Did you use other engines? I know now you're kind of going away from Unity towards mono game. Yeah. Um, what, what's kind of been your experience in that realm and uh, what kind of brought you there, I guess? Well, as far as game development and where i started with that uh have have you guys seen um uh indie game the movie yeah 
I actually haven't. I need to. Oh, <laughs> but but <Taylor>. yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm I'm kind of ashamed to admit that. But okay, so Red's seen it. Yeah, um, you can. I've heard all about it. You you can assume I've seen it. There's a scene in the movie, uh, and I think it's I think it's with Phil, uh, the guy who made Fe- uh, Fez, um, where he's talking about he when he was a kid he would write these programs out on the computer. And he would just like stick his face like super close to it and just like watch everything. And there's like a whole scene where it shows him doing that now. That was me as a kid. Uh, that's where I started. <laughs> uh, when I was 12 years old, uh, my mother bought me a, uh, it's called a Tandy Color Computer 3. Uh, it's just a keyboard that connects. It's just a keyboard. You connect it to the TV with um, RCA cables and it had these game cartridges, and she she got it for me because it was like educational games, but I was a little bit too old for those games. <laughs> um, but it came with this book, and I was super interested in the book because it taught you how to program in BASIC. Uh, so I sat there and started learning BASIC from that. And the the first thing I made from it was this: it just flashed random colors on the screen, and as it was flashing random colors, it just made random like blips and bloops sounds. Um, and then I went from there and I started learning with that how to program for the joystick and made like a simple um, click the button and drag the joystick and it paints on the screen. So I made a drawing program. Nice. Um, and I, start, I started from there and I moved on uh, through the years through like different versions of BASIC. Um, went to like QBASIC, uh, TI BASIC, the ones, that's the ones you use on the calculators. Oh, nice. uh, I started making games for calculators while I was in school, <laughs> which was super fun. Everyone else was playing like the, uh, they had like the mafia game that people would download on the calculators and play. And they're all playing that. And I'm over here designing like this uh, dungeon crawler game. <laughs> I've got like full databases built into the calculator through like some of the files and reference that for like the monster stats and everything to pull them in. Uh, I cool. used the graph screen to draw the, the walls and everything for the dungeon. Uh, <laughs> And then after that, I got super heavy into RPG Maker. <laughs> nice. For a long time. Um, just messing around with that. And that's around the time that I met one of my friends. Um, his name is Anthony. And he's, he's for a long time, has been like my, I have an idea, I'm going to bounce it off of him. Or he has an idea, he bounces it off of me. And so for a while, we, we both were like messing around with RPG Maker and doing stuff in that working together and I w- he's very good at the whole design aspect of things. Uh, and I'm very good at the programming aspect of it. So it, it worked well together. We meshed really well with all of that. Um, and then I found out about unity. This was probably five years ago. Uh, it's been mm-hmm. a while. Yeah. Um, super interested in unity, uh, but it seemed way too complex for me. It's just, way too much it's like the 10 ton hammer and all i needed to do was you know put this small nail in a piece of wood (laughs) um so i shot away from it for a while and i started learning uh love 2d uh it's a 2d game engine uh started messing around with that for a bit kind of fell away from that went back to unity learned some more with unity got really scared with unity again went back to love 2d (laughs) (laughs) um and then went back to Unity uh, full-time this past year. Um, and now, like you said, I'm moving over into Mono Game. And it's Unity is great. Don't get me wrong. Unity is a fantastic engine. You can do a lot of really incredible things with it. I mean, there's a lot of games out there already that incredible things have been done with Unity. Um, but with Mono Game, it's, 
mono game gives you the framework and so that's like that's like your foundation and you build everything off of that so if you wanted to make your own game engine out of that framework make your own game engine out of the framework uh your physics everything that that you're doing in there if there's a bug with it just go you can go fix it you know what the bugs are in the engine you can fix it um whereas things like with unity if there's a problem within the engine you have to wait for the update to happen you have to wait for them to eventually fix it or put out that new feature um, and it's really nice being able to work in something like Monogame and know that if there's a feature that I want, I can make that feature and I can make it happen. And if there's features that I don't need, they're not there. They're not part of the engine. They're not part of the code. They're not going to mess up something else. I, I don't I don't need them. They're not there. Um, so it's, it's nice. Um, the Was struggle... there a particular... Sorry to interrupt you. Oh, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I'll, I'll keep talking if you don't interrupt me. <laughs> I'm <Okay>. a talker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was there a particular like instance or something in Unity where you were like, this is a bug, it's not going to get fixed, so I need to explore other options? Or was it more of kind of like you'd experience Unity and you kind of just wanted something more lightweight that you had more control over? Or what kind of like, what was the first thing that made you think about switching engines? Because I think for a lot of beginners, there's that kind of overload of like, what engine do I use? And then they start using something and then they still have that for quite a while. And I feel like personally, um, it's better to pick something um, because like when you're first starting out, you don't know what everything is. It's, I feel like mm -hmm. it's better to have kind of a base idea of how game engines work in general and kind of stick to something for a while before you decide to jump ship. Um, especially if you're invested in it, if you have like over a hundred hours or something in one engine and you're still new, I feel like you should just kind of stick it out. Um, yeah. but obviously you're past that point. You've been programming a long time. So what was it that, that made you decide, well, I think I, I want to try mono game or this is the reason why I should try mono game kind of a thing. Um, so my, with unity and I, I don't want to, uh, again with this, I don't want to shy anyone away from unity. Because uh, it's a fantastic engine. It's really good. Um, Unity, though, is, first and foremost, it's a 3D engine. That's what it is. The 2D stuff for Unity, or the, the focus on 2D for Unity, didn't come until much later. Um, and it's improved a ton since they did it. But there's still a few things that... Um, and it, it's most likely things that I, I personally just don't understand when I'm using Unity, and it's not a problem with Unity, but it's it's that frustration that I get dealing with those things in Unity that kind of pulls me away and made me start looking for other engines. Um, most specifically, it's the camera work. I hate working with the camera in Unity. <laughs> uh, when you're doing like a 2D game, so like the, the game you're working on right now uh, for the one game a month, uh -huh. uh, you have your character on the screen and you move around and the camera follows him. Yeah. Um, and so that that's great. The camera's following him. But what if you just want the camera to sit in one place at a specific size and not move ever? Just a one screen arcade type game. Um, so you you de you design that. You look it up online and you find you know all these fancy calculations for what should my orthographic size be for the camera. So you get those that fancy magic number for the orthographic size and you plug it in and you're like, great, I have this mathematically comput computated number 
and I've set my aspect ratio at 1280 by 720 and I'm going to start making this game. So you're 1280 by 720 and you design out your sprites and you're like, okay, I need my sprites to be uh, 32 by 32 pixels. So everything you do is a 32 by 32 pixels. So you put it in Unity, 32 pixels per unit. Everything seems great. And then you start putting things into the game and like with, with Ophidian, all of my sprites are literally just white blocks with um, the top the top row of the, the sprite is transparent and the left row is transparent. And that's what creates the grid effect. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So you just make these white blocks and you put them into Unity and you're like, okay, it looks great. This is what I want to do. So now you're like, okay, I need to make this white block move. So you start making it move and that's when you notice the issues. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this before. Um, it really bothers me. It's it's like one of those pet peeves of mine. <laughs> the sprites as they're moving, you start getting those sub pixel issues where uh, it starts doing like the nearest neighbor, and yeah. the pixels start bleeding over. So you have uh, like the background in Ophidian is like this crisp lines. Every cell is the exact same size. There, it's all squares, but if I put it at certain sizes uh, or a certain number of blocks wide in that background, some of the columns for the black lines are wider than the others. And some of them yeah. completely disappear altogether. <laughs> and I'm like, why is this happening? What is going on? And so you start looking that up and you find out about all these things with unity and everyone has like 10,000 ways to fix this in unity. And none of them work for you though. None of them. <laughs> and it's super frustrating and that that right there, it was actually with that with that background problem that made me start wondering, maybe I should look for something that's more of a this was made for 2D. Yeah. It, it, 2D was first for this. So I went over into Monogame and as soon as I got into Monogame, I started looking stuff up and I found uh this guy who wrote um like an extended framework for Monogame and it includes things for the camera for uh which is another thing that I hated trying to figure out in unity is if i if i'm developing this game in 1280 by 720 and i want to send it to my friend that's a 16 by 9 resolution but my friend is running a 16 by 10 resolution well how is that going to look on his game when he runs it so it's a different resolution it's a different aspect ratio so you start wondering you know do you add the the letter boxing to the game or the pillar boxing if you need to do that uh and is that could is that going to go against how you want the game to look? Because you want it all to be within this one window. So then you start looking into things like locking the aspect ratio of the game. So it can't go into anything but a 16 by 9 resolution. And right. then you start looking into, you know, well, maybe I just need to lock it at 1280 by 720. But what about people who maybe can't run 1280 by 720? Um, yeah, you run into all those issues. That's something that is... I feel like it's just me not understanding it. But with Unity the changing with the different resolutions i can mm-hmm. never get it right so that's why yeah. like lately i've been uh just doing webgl builds and then i set a particular resolution but the weirdest thing was i did that with my last game i so i finished that game for one game a month uh last night which is cool um and i got it up on itch and i played it on you know different sizes of my browser and everything and then um i you were on Madikin's stream last night uh yeah. he played the game and he has a different monitor than I do, like a very widescreen monitor. Mm-hmm. And everything was messed up. 
I was like, what the heck? This is so annoying. I even set the resolution. Like, what's going on? So, yeah, I hear your frustration there because that's something that I always struggle with. Um, and then with the pixel thing, I saw that in my game, too. Uh, so yeah. my shaman guy, he, like, raises his little, you know, he pulls a sand people kind of a thing going <laughs> over his head. Uh, and you could see, like, his chest and his... Uh, his arms just kind of like shrinking and getting bigger as the pixels or as the animation moves. Yeah. And it's just weird. Yeah. So, so to my best understanding, uh, that issue is caused by uh, your, your sprites are, you know, it's 32 pixels, right? If you set a 32 pixels per unit, uh, that's mm-hmm. 32 pixels make up the one unity unit. Um, mm-hmm. And you said the camera orthographic size calculated based off of that unit but that works if the sprites exist at integers for the transform. So anytime mm-hmm. the sprites transform gets into a float value and it's not something that's like a direct integer, that's when yeah. you start getting that issue. And everyone's like, oh, we'll just go into the project settings and cut off the um, the the filtering for the game. You know, no filtering. Make sure all your sprites have... um. Uh, the point filtering instead of uh, nearest neighbor or bilinear or cubic. Yeah. And you right. do all that and you still have the issue. <laughs> it's still there. Um, yeah. Like I was saying, um, when I switched over to mono game, I was just trying out, trying out different engines at the time. Cause you, you were on your little Pico eight kick at the time. And I was yeah. like, Oh, let me try Pico eight. So I tried that. Yeah. And that reminded me of love 2d. And I was like, well, I need to start looking up what other game engines are out there. And I found mono game and, like I was saying, I found this uh, one extended framework for Mono Game, and part of that is um, a piece that you can put into the camera for the game, and it's basically three different viewport adapters uh, for your camera, and one of them is a scaling viewport adapter, and I was like, oh, that sounds interesting, a scaling viewport, how does that work? So I, I was reading the documentation on it, I put it into the game, and I recreated, just like really rudimentary recreated Ophidian in the game, just the snake moving and the background. And the scaling viewport adapter, as the window size changed, it was like perfectly scaling the game with it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, so now I can set like any resolution for the game. And it's just like perfectly exactly what yeah. I wanted to be, no matter the window size. And I was like, this took me all of like an hour of learning mono game and researching and learning how to use this viewport adapter piece. I spent almost a year in unity and could not get this right, <laughs> but an hour in mono game and now it's working. That's um, awesome. So that, that right there, that one moment is what kind of pushed me toward. All right, I'm moving things over to mono game now. <laughs> nice. So I've, I actually, before I started learning unity, I took a course on Coursera uh, in mono game. And that was like one of the first exposures I had to game development. Um, and that was really cool. I really enjoyed it, but I also had like no back knowledge for how things worked and it was a little bit intimidating for me. Um, so for anyone who's interested in mono game, do you have recommendations for, uh, where to start? I have a feeling you're going to say RB Whitaker. who's like <laughs> yes, one of my favorite guys ever. Yeah. Yeah. His, um, those are some really good tutorials in there. Um, one thing you need to know about mono game is mono game is actually, uh, what XNA used to be. Um, right. So if you remember XNA, that was the framework that Microsoft made for people to create indie games for the Xbox or the Xbox 360. Um, and then they 
they kept developing it and then they discontinued it. And when they did that, they open sourced it. Uh, and the XNA framework went open source and it split into two two teams working on it. Uh, one team was focused on making it work with uh, Silverlight, and the other team was working on making it um, for like work with mobile. And then those two teams were just like, "Oh, why don't we just make this one thing?" Um, <laughs> so they kind of merged everything together, and that's where Monogame is now. So Monogame is actually the current iteration of what the XNA framework used to be. And there's a ton of documentation and tutorials and videos on the XNA framework. And like 99% of all that still applies in the current version of the framework. Um, nice. So yeah, the one where he just said that it's a really good place to start. He's got a really good um, intro series into Monogame. Uh, but then outside of that, you can find tons of information between Monogame and XNA tutorials online and through YouTube. Nice, man. Ah, so cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, we've been going going crazy. Uh, wow. So outside of uh, outside of game dev, what are some things you're interested in? I know I was super stoked when you shared your uh, band stuff oh. in high school with me. Uh, yeah. So you play music. Are you still playing? Uh, occasionally. I have a guitar. Um, nice. And every once in a while, I'll, I'll still play it. Just kind of make sure it's not falling apart. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, what's so funny to me is, so like that once I had this one stream for you guys out there who don't know, I had a stream where uh, somehow a bunch of us in the chat, we, we started talking about bands and a bunch of us in the chat started saying like, they were also in bands. And it's so funny to me that like I, the thing for me when I was growing up, that was like my hobby and like my passion project was music. And me and Rhett were in a band together, which you guys probably know. And it was all like, you know, metal, hardcore, rock, whatever. And it's so funny to me that all these devs that I'm meeting had the exact same experience growing up. It's like, what the heck is is game dev just like people graduating from having failed <laughs> bands or like what is this? I think when you when you move uh, from like one artistic field to another, you're gonna find that field like filled with similar spirited people because yeah. it's not just game. Like I know I kind of feel like game dev is it's like very similar to the music scene in a lot of ways like especially like a lot of the guys that i used to roll with who all like you know i always say it on the podcast is like they got that punk frame of mind and punk just being like the do it yourself you know they just go out and do it you know book your (laughs) shows buy a cheap van and get out there and like go play some stuff you know and that's what that's the same spirit i see going over to game dev but i still think like no matter where you jump to, you're going to have, like, everybody's, you know, that, I mean, that's a sweeping over generalization, but, you know, it's like everybody's played music, you know, so <laughs> of course, like, of course you narrow it down to, like, those people who figured out that they like doing stuff and like creating stuff and they yeah. keep doing that into their adult life, like, you're going to find them. Well, and I, know? Th- what I found really interesting was that all of us, like, the three I can think of is, well, me and you, Rhett, and then Manbeer Games and Krasenstein, uh, we were all in bands and it was all like hardcore, like metal punk, yeah, dude. whatever. Yes. It's like, it's like, well, maybe it's just, uh, that alternative kind of interest in music kind of lends itself well to like being an indie developer, not somebody who just wants to go down that path and go to like game dev school and work for like, you know, yeah. Ubisoft yeah. or something. 
yeah. well uh I, uh chris when what years were you like doing the band thing uh wow <laughs> and i'm about to show my age here um <laughs> i started uh my senior year of high school uh so that would have been 2003 to 2004 yeah uh, that's gotcha. when it started yeah um, so what i was gonna say what i was gonna say is like if if you're doing like the metal or hardcore or whatever type thing like that was the heyday man yeah, like that between was. 2000 yeah. and 2005 was like all the metal metalcore rise <laughs> Oh yeah, man. And it's like I swear to god there was more bands than there ever had been on the face of the planet and they were all playing like hardcore or yeah. metal or whatever. Oh, yeah. It's it's funny to think about that. Like you were saying how many bands there were during that time. Um cuz where, where I live at uh in North Carolina there was like a huge scene for music, local scene during that time and it's it's died. Like it's gone. Yeah. There's um yeah. The the town that I live in, uh, there's a, a place that was like like that was the spot to play in this town, and it's just like it's a closed building. They still have like the signs up for it and everything, um, like the painting on the windows for the name of the store, uh, but it's just like it's closed, and it's so depressing because I used to drive past it on the way to work every day, and I'm like, man, I wish there was a show there this weekend <laughs> just to go see someone play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't been to yeah. a show in a long time. I uh, I tried to go see a show a couple weeks ago, but uh, I convinced our buddy to go, and it was like, well, okay, the pre-sale tickets are sold out. Like they're holding some at the door. It's like, do we want to drive an hour to like maybe get into the show, or do we just like want to go to the bar, <laughs> hang out? Oh, no, and so we always, just went to the bar. Always drive an hour. It's always worth yeah. it. I, uh... Well, that's the that's how it usually turns out, right? But it's like it probably shows like you know that we're getting older that it's like i don't know yeah <laughs> i know the, <laughs> the last time i went to a show and i was on the floor and there was like a pit i was like oh god <laughs> like, like i'm too old for this like let me just stand back or sit down on the balcony and just watch but yes. like when when we were so like to give you perspective on how old we are i graduated in 2007 so you were actually my sister's age so i would have been in high school when you were like a senior uh but uh kids What's that? Bunch of kids. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about like everyone nowadays. But uh, me and Rhett, like, so we had we were like one of the only drummers basically in our school, and uh, we had some other friends that also went to school with us and played music and like when we were in a band it was like that's what we did we played music every week and then i swear we went to shows up in portland which was like an hour and a half drive from where we lived uh we went to shows like probably all the time two times a month or something for like least, a couple yeah. of years and uh god it was so fun those like when i get old and i talk about like the heydays like that's what it was like going to shows with my bros and like right. you know playing shitty music <laughs> well man back then it was like you could go to any of these venues and they had like a full ticket lineup you know like four or five bands and they're it's at they're at like five venues across town so there's like so many bands and lots of local bands like I don't know. Nowadays, I, I don't know. I have a hard time keeping up with the scene. I do, but... too. I haven't listened to a new band in a long time. Oh, God. Yeah. I think Chris is onto something, though. It's like it definitely kind of died out a little bit. Because I think 
when it's kind of like everybody started like sounding the same, like the recording yeah. techniques, yep. like crystallized into this, like, well, you got to have the pod, you know, <laughs> guitar system so that you can all have the same exact freaking guitar sounds on your yeah. demos. This is what a breakdown demos. sounds like. Cue yeah. the drop. Oh, right. <laughs> and everybody's demos start sounding like polished studio albums because they're like sampling the drums and they have like this one refined guitar sound. <laughs> and all the bands started sounding the same. Well, oh, I don't yeah. know if it's like this for for you and your area, Chris, but at least around here, there's not really even a rock station on the radio anymore. It's all not like anymore. alternative oh. and like pop stuff. Yeah, they actually, you know? we had one here. Um, it was a 99X, it's the radio station. Um, I didn't actually get it. It doesn't come out as far as where I live at. But a lot of people, like friends of mine on Facebook about a month ago, were getting like super angry because it's no longer a rock station. It's playing yeah. like the current like pop and alternative music. Yeah. And it's just like people were so mad about that. So yeah, it's it's dying out here too. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, had well, and even like we we had our rock stations and one by one they all dropped off. And then it's like we even had an alternative station that played pretty good alternative music in my mind, but now it's all like top 25 top yeah. yeah it's all top 40 stuff yeah. and it's like even the alternative it's like sometimes you catch some good stuff but most of the time it's intolerable what i um, find the most funny is we had a station uh that used to be called 101 kufo it's like the 101 or rock 101 <laughs> or whatever yeah. and now it's primarily a conservative talk show radio station yeah. oh, wow <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow i know where like where things are moving <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's conservative talk radio in the day, and then at 7 o'clock at night, uh, it, it's home to Ground Zero, which is like a freaking parapolitics, like paranormal, like <laughs> conspiracy theory radio show. It's like, yeah. really? <laughs> like, yeah. your your listener base is the, these types of people? All right. Yeah. I mean, I loved that show for a long time, but it's, it's a bit much. But I, I, get, I gave up on radio a long time ago. Yeah. As soon as I, I yeah. as soon as I discovered Spotify, I was like, "Why?" Yeah. Why <laughs> yeah, ever yeah. use the radio? That and podcasts, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so sorry, I kind of like hijacked that. Uh, but outside of uh, outside of game dev, what are what are some hobbies? I know you've been streaming lately, doing some speed running and stuff. What else? What yeah. else you got going? Um. So the speed running, by the way, is actually partially attributed to game development. <laughs> it's still within okay. the game dev hobby. It's uh. True. All true. It's research for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it also gives me my break away from game dev for a bit to kind of get out of my burnout period. But no, outside of that, um, I don't know. What are my hobbies? Uh, <laughs> I've, That's uh, how I am. Is there yeah. is there anything that like you've drawn inspiration from lately? Like whether it's like a book or some show that you're watching or... Uh, so I don't read books too much. <laughs> I know you guys have the uh, the book club. Yeah. Um, I I can't read books. I can't do it. <laughs> I uh, I fall asleep every time I read a book. Like four or five pages in, and I'm passed out. <laughs> I have Maybe to you should go audio with audio books. books. Yeah, I have well, to do have audio a, books. A reliable, non-habit forming sleep aid. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, uh, I do watch a ton of TV, ton of TV shows, and I I do get a lot of inspiration and ideas from that. Um. Like uh, Stranger Things really uh, 
kicked off a lot of ideas for me recently, but I'm not yeah. going to get into that because it's still new and I don't want yeah. to spoil the show for people. I haven't watched season That's two fair. yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've, I've got a f- really good ideas from that. Um, I mean, outside of that, no, my hobbies, uh, I kind of bounce around between hobbies. I never really stick with one for too long. Um, but my favorite one that I've ever done, uh, if I could really like, you know, grasp the reins of it and go with it would be woodworking. Uh, nice. I really enjoy doing woodworking and I think it's something that I'm going to start doing more, um, coming up in the future because we have this uh, coffee table in our living room and it's just, it's, we've had it for a really long time and it's kind of worn and beat and the top little layer piece is kind of like peeling off. Uh, and I really just want to throw it out <laughs> beside the room and just be done with it. But I need a coffee table. Like I have to have one. <laughs> um, so I think I want to, I want to build one. I want to, to make one um, and design it out. And, you know, not just like the piece of wood on top and four legs. Like I want to make like this really cool design with it, do something like really awesome with it. Um, so I'm going to be doing that coming up. So you probably see a lot of woodworking tweets. <laughs> nice. Maybe, <Yeah>. maybe a stream. <laughs> That's cool, man. I That's have great, no man. like handiwork skills. It's all, it's basically, I work on a computer and that's it. <laughs> so that's cool. I'm kind of jealous of, because Red's think, been doing think, blacksmithing. So yeah, kind of jealous. I think of working with your guys. hands, it's like working with your hands. It's like one of the perfect ways to step away from something like game dev or any sort of like software related endeavor, you know, mm-hmm. getting out there. Like, I don't know. There's just, it's, there's something so cathartic, right? It's like doing the dishes and going for a walk, except at the end of it, you actually have like a tangible thing that you can like, give to somebody or you can yeah. use it yourself like like being able to use that coffee table like you're gonna have a feeling of accomplishment every time you set a mug down on that thing <laughs> or you put your feet up on it or whatever you know yeah like, yeah man i don't know what that would be for me i i have zero ideas <laughs> <laughs> but i'll brainstorm yeah well we're kind of coming up against the clock a little bit is there anything else mm. that you wanted to that like we'd didn't get a chance to talk about before we go? Uh, I don't think so. I was actually super nervous about doing this. Oh, it um, just flies dude. past, right? It does. It does fly past because, and it's, it's like I said, I'm doing it now. Uh, if you don't interrupt me, I'll keep talking and I will not. <laughs> I'm the stop same talking. way. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm the same exact way. I will say though, cause me and Rhett are used to just, I mean, we don't know what we're going to talk about every single time. Like, we have no idea. We just start going and bouncing and whatever. It was really nice to, like, hear about your process. Like, yeah. honestly, I when you were talking, I was just, like, sitting there like, oh, this is this is amazing. Like, keep talking. <laughs> it's always great to have other perspectives. Yeah. And especially, like, you know, if the well ever starts running dry for somebody, it's, I think it's great. It's a great way to sort of kind of rekindle that spark to get work done you know uh yeah. listening to other people talk about this you know they're having the same troubles as you but maybe with a different tool or whatever it might be it's a good way to refill that yeah fuel tank no, I, I was um, gonna oh, sorry go ahead oh i'm sorry <laughs> no, <laughs> i was gonna good. ask you uh like do you have do you have your sights set on something after ophidian like do you have a particular date you have in oh, mind yeah. for when you want to be That's done with Ophidian and Ophidian and then uh, like what you're doing next or if you don't have that idea or don't can't talk about it yet that's cool too oh yeah definitely um so I've got a couple of ideas that I want to work on one of the reasons I've been doing the speed runs of the east series is uh 
I was telling Maddie this last night. He was watching my stream for a little bit. Uh, the East series is like as a game series. That's my my favorite game series. Um, they're super quick to pick up. Uh, casual playthrough, the first one, first time playing through it, you can get through the whole game in like four to six hours. Um, the whole design of the world is it's it's not grand. It's it's small in like the first East game. Um, but the way they've done it, it makes it feel much bigger than it is. And I've always really enjoyed that. And it has this really interesting attack system in East called, uh, it's called the bump system. So you don't actually like swing a weapon to attack the enemies. You literally bump into them. You run <laughs> into them at like angles or at from behind. If you do it like head on, then they attack back while you're doing it. So you have to like plan how you're going to hit them. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's super interesting to me. And so I've been replaying the East games to kind of like recapture that feeling and get the inspiration from that. Cause I'd really like to do a game in that vein, uh, just like a small, like action adventure type game, maybe make my own version of the bump system and do something from that. Um, mm -hmm. I'd really like to do something with that. And so that, cool. that's, that's kind of like my medium project. Yeah. Right. So that's, that goes into my medium bucket. Um, and then I have a, a small bucket of what I want to do where, uh, with Ophidian, I really like the idea of like smaller arcade type games, uh, and so I want to do kind of like a collection, like um, uh, what they do with like the basement collection, where it's just like a bunch of like smaller little mini games, little arcade games, and kind of put them into like this one collection of games, and just kind of put that out there and release that out there, and like something like that would be like super easy to take into it, like uh, put it on Steam or turn it into like even like a mobile game and put it out on Apple and uh, Android as well. Mm -hmm. um, but that, that goes into my small bucket because that's just a bunch yeah. of little small mini games you put into one game. Um, Sounds cool. And I have, I have a large bucket, which is <laughs> a very personal bucket. I've been going through a lot of stuff over the past uh, few months. Um, not going to get into the details of it, uh, but it has led to a lot of depression. Um, and trying to get over that depression and dealing with things in life and learning how to let go of things and move on and just move past things. And um, from that, uh, I was actually talking with my son because he was helping me come up with ideas for the uh, Lodum Dari uh, that yeah. they had recently. And I had him come into the room with me and we went over like all the themes that are potential themes. And as we were going down there, I was uh, I would read them off, and I was like, okay, you give me an idea. So he was basically my my idea giver for my games. <laughs> um, and one of, I, I can't remember what the theme was for one of them, but his idea was basically, what if you're trapped inside of a room and you have to figure out how to get out of the room? And like something like sparked in my head when he said that, and it's just like it's just like this flood of ideas. Um, so I forgot. This is my large part. This is going to be like. This is like a three to four year project for me to do this. Um, but it, it's a, a story, like very narrative driven uh, puzzle game. And you are, it's like something you're trapped inside of a room. And as you're in the room, there's different objects that you interact with. And as you uh, interact and like hold one object, uh, holding that object triggers part of the story, which basically triggers parts of like the memories for your character. And it changes the objects in the room. So it's kind of like working on that, um, the whole idea of like the smells of an object or the touch or the feel of it can trigger those memories for you. And those, oh. and then you're seeing that in the room and as the things change and you go through the puzzles that way and it adds more to the story. Um, but yeah. the whole game is inside like this one room. Um, and 
building off of that, uh, that's going to build kind of off the idea of like the, the Schrodinger's cat being in the boxes of the lava, is it dead? And, uh, and that all builds into the story. And I've got to like, I've been like fleshing it out and writing out the story for it. And, but that, that's like my large, like three, four year project. That's going to take quite a while to finish. <laughs> Dude, that's really cool. Yeah. Well, it sounds like nice, you got man. a lot on your plate. Um, yeah. I'm really excited to see what you do next, how Ophidian changes all your other projects. It's been super fun getting to know you over the last year and just cool to like, I like, I feel like I know a real game developer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and uh, you so, guys are game developers too. Well, I know, but it, it's different. Uh, so no, no, don't don't show us. It's um, from your podcast a few weeks ago. You know, you don't you don't put the I'm an aspiring game developer. You made a I game. Know. There you go. You're yeah. a game developer. There you go. That's true. I know. I need to work on. I need to work on my confidence. But no, dude, it's yeah. been really fun uh, getting to know you, seeing what you're working on. I I wish I could catch your stream more often, but it's hard to uh, balance my time. <laughs> so yeah, if, uh, I was just gonna say if you have any links or um, ways people can get in touch with you if if you want, um, you want to just give those a shout out. Any any other shout outs you want to uh, give? Feel free, man. Oh sure. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, the absolute easiest way to do that is to call me on my phone. But I'm not giving you my phone number. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not gonna happen. Uh, so the second best way to reach me is probably through Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm constantly checking Twitter, which I hate, by the way. I hate having to use Twitter. <laughs> it's a necessary evil, though, when you're right. being an indie developer. Um, so yeah, my Twitter is uh, it's just Manbeard Games, uh, and it's like, it's Manbeard Games for everything. So Manbeard Games for Twitter. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitch, I do game development streams. I haven't recently because I've wanted to take that break from doing game development um but it's manbeard games on twitch um facebook as well is uh, manbeard games i don't update the facebook quite as much it's more like an afterthought um because facebook really isn't what it's meant to be like twitter <laughs> yeah. um and i have a youtube channel as well but uh i don't have enough followers on my youtube channel <laughs> to make my own custom url so it's a really long uh, string i'll have to send it to you no worries um yeah. Website I'm assuming is just manbeardgames.com. Yes, manbeardgames.com. Um that doesn't get updated very frequently as well. That's more of like a uh a dumping ground for when I put out a new project or if I want to write like a quick blog post for the dev notes. Um outside of that, uh um if you do uh moonsidesound.com. Yeah. Uh that's my friend Justin who did the audio work for Ophidian. Uh it's a really fantastic guy. Does r- really really good work with sound stuff. Uh, primarily he, he doesn't focus on game music. Um, he does a lot of like mixing and beat creation, uh, music production. Um, but he's a fantastic guy. And if you've got someone you need, or if you need someone to do music for you for a game, I mean, he's down to do it. Really, awesome. really cool. Really chill guy. Um, but no, outside of that, uh, the only other shout I could give is uh, to you guys, but this is, this is your podcast. <laughs> you guys Thanks, were actually man. a huge inspiration for me last year. Awesome. Um, yeah, you started out with that uh, one tweet where you asked, uh, "How do you, how do game developers push past that point where you just want to stop and give up?" And I just like replied to it. I was like, "We just don't give up," <laughs> <laughs> um, or something. It was something along that lines, uh, and that's yeah. how, how I found out about you guys. And then you know, you started streaming, and it was just it was super cool watching 
through this past year how the whole game dev quest thing has developed and become what it is now and it was for me it, that was a huge inspiration for me as i was working on Ophidian and keeping me motivated to do that to see you guys continuing to do that so that's dude, that, that, that would be yeah. my last shout out yeah dude thank you so much that means a lot yeah thank you ah yeah. Uh, yeah now i'm getting the feels man <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, well, yeah. Thank you so much for uh, all your time, Chris. Uh, Manbeard Games. I, it was yeah. funny because I only knew you as Manbeard Games until recently. So <laughs> <laughs> you will always be Manbeard Games to me. But yeah, really good, fun. really good to formally meet you. Get to talk to you in real time. That's always interesting. Like Are you too. You know, not not like every time I talk to people. Most of the time, it's me talking and them chatting or like via Twitter. So it's fun to like have a face-to-face conversation it feels yeah. more real so Heck yeah and actually yeah, i have a beard so... I, I can prove yeah the name is that's fake. true yeah i was gonna tell i was i was gonna tell taylor before i was like if he doesn't have a beard then i'm gonna call him out as a liar <laughs> yeah you no can never here. shave <laughs> but yeah thank oh. you so much for your time chris it's been a pleasure and thank everyone you. out there definitely uh check out man beard games check out ophidian uh, I'm sure you'll be on our Twitter or our Discord some too. So those of you guys in the VIP lounge get to interact with our boy over here. <laughs> yeah, I'll pop <laughs> in there every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time. Um, and just in case it dawned on me, we've been talking about Ophidian this whole time, and I I can imagine myself like not knowing and just like trying to search for Ophidian with an F, but it's Ophidian with an with a PH. O P H. I-D-I-A-N. And you can find that on Steam and all that sort of stuff. I did mean um, to, to say this. I looked up what Ophidian was like a couple months ago because I didn't know what it meant. It means it's, it's literally snake. I was yeah. like, wow, that's a really cool word and a cool idea for your name. So, <laughs> yeah. Great work. Yeah, <laughs> Very clever. Pretty clever, yeah. All right, what are our links, Brett? Yeah, man. Uh, you guys can tweet at us. We're at Game Devs Quest. You can email us, gdq at airpodcast.com. And uh, you can stay up to date with um i don't know where i was going with this we're on facebook too facebook.com slash air podcast you can keep up to date with all of our podcasts on airpodcast.com or on itunes or your favorite podcast app of choice we appreciate you guys sticking around uh go find Manbeard games on twitter go find his game on steam and uh leave you know if you play a fidian leave him a review at least you know even if yes. you hate the damn thing <laughs> like leave him a review because yeah. uh it, it goes a long ways to helping him uh sort out a lot of the you know issues with it so um so thank you in advance for doing that and i guess until next time that's it for this week's game devs quest thanks guys thanks hey guys you didn't turn us off yet did you i got a challenge for you if you guys want to support Manbeard games and get a free copy of ophidian tweet at game devs quest and at Manbeard games hashtag ophidian rocks the first three people who tweet that We'll get a free copy of the game. All right, let's get that hype going and support our buddy Manbeard Games. Thanks, guys, and have a good week.